what does love look like? Well, we have been answering that question here in the past couple of uh, months here as we've been uh, in this series, it's all about love. And it's a journey through um, uh, John's first letter. And we're going to be continuing that journey this morning and answering that question in a very tangible way. You know, there's nothing theoretical or philosophical uh, or up in the clouds about Christianity. I mean, Christianity is boots on the ground, practical, every day. Uh, here's what love looks like. And so, if you have your Bibles, we're going to take a look at 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through 24. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. And you will find 1 John 3, verse 11, on page 863 of your church Bibles and uh, copies in the pouch in front of you if you need a copy of God's Word, and you can have it as our gift if you don't have a Bible. Um, 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. John says, this is the Apostle John writing. He's an old man now. He's in his 80s, all right? He's a pastoring uh, kind of the lead pastor in churches in western Turkey. So he's writing this booklet here of 1 John, and it's going out to different churches. And verse 11 says, This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands... Live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is God's word. Now, when I was in graduate school, when I was in seminary, I took a course uh, called Early Church History. And it uh, talked about really the explosion of Christianity uh, across the Roman Empire and uh, beyond into the second and third centuries. And, it, and, and the author of one of the books that I studied, it was a book uh, by 
uh, a guy named Henry Chadwick, and it was called The Early Church. And he had this quote uh, that has still stuck with me. He says, the most powerful single cause of Christianity's success. What was it that caused Christianity to be so explosive across the Roman Empire? Because when Christianity came on the scene, uh, it wasn't like there was a void of religious systems. Obviously, there was Judaism from which Christianity came and is the fulfillment uh, but, you know, throughout the Roman Empire, there were other religious systems, and yet Christianity took hold and literally just flourished in a very, really, a short amount of time. And what was it? What was, what was it that caused Christianity to just explode throughout the Roman Empire? And Chadwick says the most single, powerful single cause of Christianity's success is charity. Charity, that is, tangible, physical expressions of love where Christians would look out for other Christians. Christians would share, and it's amazing. Uh, Christian love showed up in caring for the poor, the orphans, the sick, the imprisoned, those in labor camps, those who are widows, those who suffered calamities, those who were the victims of earthquakes or or floods or uh, famines or even war. In fact, one uh, author put it this way. Churches everywhere took care of widows and orphans. They tended the sick. They tended the infirmed, the disabled. They buried the dead. People who could not even afford, who were so poor that they could not even afford to bury their dead. Well, the churches took them in and they took care of them. They took care of indigents. They cared for slaves. Sometimes they even raised enough money to then uh, free a slave. They furnished work for those who needed it. In fact, it was just a a part of the Christian culture in in the second centuries, in the third centuries, that if you were... If you were a stranger in town and you gave evidence of your Christianity to another Christian and you needed a place to stay, it was just just kind of part of the Christian culture that you would be able to stay in another Christian's home for up to three nights, no questions asked. You need a place to stay? Three nights, no questions asked. That, That kind of physical, tangible expression of love that, that was existent in the early church. And you know what? It happens today, too. I mean, did you know? Think about this. Organizations like the Salvation Army, the Pew Charitable Trust, the Red Cross, the YMCA, the YWCA, the United Way, all have explicit Christian origins. It's really true. The most powerful single cause of Christianity's success. Definitely then, and I think even now, is is charity. Tangible expressions of love. Meeting needs with love. And where does this come from? It comes from this verse here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. The apostle John says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. From the beginning of what? From the beginning of the gospel. Jesus himself made it very clear to his disciples. John is recalling when he was a young man. When, now he's, I mean, he has lived the life. He has seen it all. I mean, in a few years, he's going to be dead. But he knows, he knows how to do life, and he knows what satisfies. Listen to Grandpa John as he says to us, 
This is the command you've heard from the beginning of the gospel. It was transformational then. It's transformational now. Love one another. It came from the lips of Jesus himself. Because Christianity is not adhering to a set of philosophical teaching principles. It's not. Not at its root. Not at its core. At its root, Christianity is following a person. Following Jesus, that's Christianity. And and the message is love. Love one another. Love one another. And John writes this because he wants to encourage those in the church about confidence. He wants them to be confident. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm not doing anybody any good as a leader. I'm not doing any of my brothers and sisters in the church family any good if I teach or minister in a way that causes you all to doubt this faith that has has been in existence for 2,000 years. I'm doing my job as a leader, as a Christian pastor, if I lead and shepherd in such a way so that you can be confident, that you can walk out of here and you say, I know I belong to God. I know it. And John says, here's how you can know it. First John is about three questions, three assessments. The first assessment is the moral assessment, the moral test. Am I following God's word? Am I following God's word? Uh, We read last week in 1 John chapter 2, and we know that he is righteous, 1 John 2, 29. You know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Am I following God's word? Uh, Then there's the social test. Am I loving God's people? And then there's the doctrinal test. Am I trusting God's son? Am I leaning on or depending upon any, any substitute saviors in my life? Am I depending on any other kind of savior that I think is gonna deliver me other than Jesus Christ? That's the doctrinal test. Am I following God's word? Am I trusting God's son? And this week we're gonna talk about am I loving God's people? The social test. Love one another. And if I could just, you know, boil the coffee down to the stain at the bottom of the cup, I would say to you that John's big idea is simply this. Christians who are real Christians, Christians who are real Christians love other Christians. That's that's. That's what this paragraph is about. Christians who are real Christians. You want, to know your, you want to know if someone's a real Christian? Huh? Do they love other Christians? Okay. Now, I'm not saying we don't love the world. That's, you know, but uh, of course we love those outside the world. But we need to love other Christians, you know. There kind of needs to be some triage here. And we need to show love physically, tangibly to other Christians. And, and, And here's why this matters. (laughs) Christians loving other Christians, that's the the best marketing tool that we can ever give to the world. I mean, letting other people know about the reality of Christ. I mean, we can have billboards, and I'm not saying billboards are bad. We can have advertisements in the newspaper, and I'm not saying that's bad. We can have radio, TV, and all of those kinds of marketing approaches, and that's, but here's the deal. 
Those are nothing compared to Christians loving other Christians and the attraction of that because there's a lot of unlove out there. And when people see how we treat each other, I want that because everybody, everybody has a love need. Everybody has a love need. And when the world sees how Christians treat each other, my goodness, that's incredible. You see, and here's the deal, and here's what we need to understand. When John first wrote these words, you know, the church didn't meet in a big room like this. I mean, they didn't have church facilities and a church campus for, you know, several hundred years. <laughs> Where did they meet? They met in your living room. <laughs> Huh? We're not, there was, you know, the only way there'd be room big enough for 650 people was if it was at your house. Instead, we went to Marshall's house and 20 or 30 people, you see. Now, listen, you can mask unlove in a room like this. There may be someone over here in this section who just despises someone over here in this section. Huh? Maybe. And you can, we can mask that, but not when we're over at Marshall's house. You've got a room of 20 or 30 people. That kind of, you know, you can smell that, okay? You can smell hate in a living room a lot easier than you can smell hate in a big room like this. You see what I'm saying? So we need to just think a little bit then. So you say, you mean, you mean that kind of thing actually happened back then? Yeah, it kind of happened back then. Well, can they really call themselves Christians? Well, no, John says they can't. They're not of the community of Christ. They're of another community. And so these verses just walk us through the other community, the bad community, the community that smells. And then, and then John says he pleads, he appeals, he shepherds, he pastors. Let's get out of this community. Let's, let's get into the community of Christ. And then he says, here's... Here's what it takes to live the kind of love in the community of Christ, okay? So we're going to talk about the, the community of Cain and the community of Christ and where our confidence comes from here. First John chapter 3. John says in verse 12, Do not be like Cain. There it is, the community of Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, you know what we're talking about here, don't you? Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And uh, it's, John is, I mean, think about this for a minute. 1,900 years ago, all right, the apostle John, bless you, whoever sneezed. <laughs> 1,900 years ago, the apostle John, I mean, he had the same Genesis chapter 4 that we're reading at right now. So, so. Genesis chapter, John's thinking, do not be like Cain. Adam and Eve had two boys, Cain and Abel. And Cain, uh, Abel kept the flocks. He was a rancher. He was a shepherd, okay? Cain worked the soil. He was a farmer. Evil farmers. Ooh, farmers. Beware. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the food, fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So the context in Genesis chapter 4 is worship, isn't it? It's worship. And the audience to which John first wrote his words, worship. Guess where we are? Worship. Worship. 
worship. And Abel brought his offering, Cain brought his offering, and you can tell, you can tell from verse four that there's something distinct about Abel's offering. And, and it, the inference is this, it's that Abel brought his best to God. The fat portions of some of the firstborn you see, he brought his best to God. Cain did not bring his best to God. Cain brought the leftovers to God. Abel brought the best portions to God. And literally, Genesis 4 says that the Lord respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain's offering, and this totally torqued Cain off. But Cain was very angry, and he let his face know it. Right here. Emotions on the sleeve, emotions on the face. And so God had a little come to Jesus talk with him. Yeah. What's your problem? What's your problem? What? You know what's going on here. You know how to fix this. You know how to fix. I see, I don't think Cain would have been nearly as upset, if any at all, if, see, you know, if his brother hadn't got the A plus. If he, brother got the A plus, he got the F. You know, he's just mad. I'm getting mad. God says, you can fix this. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And Cain did not want to master it. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do and accept and have God accept whatever it is he presented to God. He just, mm. And this is, this is so fascinating. It's a fascinating quote from uh, uh, a scholar named Alan Ross in his commentary on Genesis. This, is, this really startled me when I read it. Listen to this. He said, whereas the serpent, whereas Satan was able to talk Eve into her sin, not even God was able to talk Cain out of his sin. You mean God couldn't do it? No, I mean that Cain had a free will. I mean that God said to Cain, and notice it's God. It wasn't Abel correcting his brother, right? And it wasn't even mom and dad. It wasn't even mom and dad saying, look, you know how to do this homework. You know how to do this well. You can do this. Come on, fix it. No, it wasn't even, it wasn't even Abel. It wasn't mom and dad. It was God. God himself said to Cain, you can fix this. This is doable, but Cain didn't want doable. He wanted what he wanted, and the narrative in Genesis 4 just keeps flowing. That is to say, immediately after God's conference with Cain, Cain left the conversation, went to his brother, said, let's go out in the field, and John says he butchered him. That's what, and, and why did he murder him? He butchered, that's the word murder, he butchered his brother. And why? John tells us why. He interprets Genesis chapter 4 because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. That's why. Whoa. And remember, see, now John's talking to the church here. And not in the big room here, but in the living room. Could this sort of thing have been going on back? Yeah, there was a community of Cain butchering the church of Christ back then. And the Apostle John says, time out. That's not Christianity. That's not love. 
That's not good. That's not Christ. Uh, I don't know. Is, is this something that we need to be think, thinking about here in our church community? Is it? Is this something that we need to be sensitive to? Huh? You know, somebody else's marriage is going better than maybe your marriage or somebody else's children, they're succeeding and yours isn't or somebody else's job is doing fine and yours isn't or they're growing spiritually and you're not and you see that and you kind of turn green with envy and you got Cain all over your face and the Holy Spirit's prompting you and the Holy Spirit's saying, you can fix this. This can be fixed. Come on, sin's crouching at your door. What's going on here? Or, or you know, or everything's just... Just cheesy, smiley right in here in this room. But when we leave out here into the world, in the marketplace or in the business, we kind of just stick it to one another, huh? And we call that Christianity? John says, no, I would think not, huh? Now, John says this in 1 John chapter. I mean, this is so important. He kind of goes back to it later on in the letter. John says, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he's a liar, for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's the deal. Any sleeper cell community of Cain's out there? Well, you're not a Christian if you live in that kind of darkness. You need to repent and you need to belong to the community of Christ and you need to love like Jesus. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Let's keep going. This is how we know what love is. Jesus. <laughs> there it is. This, this is how we know what love is. Jesus. Just look at Jesus. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And John, who was at the cross, saw Jesus on the cross, saw him die, saw him breathe his last, was right there. This is love that Jesus laid down his life for us. For us. It's not like Jesus Christ on the cross just died for the principles that he believed in. I mean, we've heard from the terrorists this past week how they just told the judge, well, go ahead and put us to death because we're going to die for our principles. That's, that's not love. That's not love. And Jesus, when he was crucified, it's not like he said, I'm just going to go against the establishment of the religious authorities, and I'm just going to go against the establishment of the Roman Empire, and I'm going to die for my principles. That's not love. That wouldn't have been love. No. No, no, because he died for us. Listen, if you and I, if we were walking down Windsor Road tomorrow morning at 7.30, okay, and we're, we're on the shoulder, and we're walking west on Windsor Road tomorrow morning at 7.30, 7.30 in the morning, the, uh, the traffic's gonna be coming east because people are streaming to work, right? And if you and I are talking and we're having a conversation and I'm talking to you about something that I really believe in with all of my heart and I just believe in it so much and all of a sudden in the middle of our conversation, I just jump out into traffic and I get hit and I'm pancake mix and I die, not a one of you are gonna say, wow, what love, I mean, he really died for his principles. What love? Wow. No. No, you're going to say, what a weirdo. 
well, what's up with him? Huh? But if we're walking down the shoulder and we're talking and you slip on the ice or something and you get ready to fall into traffic and I pull you back, but in doing so, I get off balance and I get hit by a truck and I die. Now, that's love. Because I died for you. And that's what John says. Now, this is love that he laid down his life for us. And then, and then John says, and, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But let's talk about this for just a minute because you know where we live. We don't live at the end of the first century in the Roman Empire where persecution is going to be taken off here in the next several decades. No, no, we don't live there. We live in the United States of America. We're protected. Our, our laws protect us so that we can do this without persecution. So you know what? Your government's not going to take your life for worshiping Jesus. I don't think so. Terrorists might, so that, that kind of comes into play now, you know. But, but even then, even with that, the chances are really the chances are we're not going to be laying down our life for someone else in persecution or what have you here in this place. We're not. So John says, well, don't think there's nothing to do. Because verse 17 says, you, you, know, you may not give your life as a martyr, but you can, you can sacrifice your material possessions. Verse 17 if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Sacrificing love in material, physical, tangible ways. And I think church family, I, I'm, I, and I, I say this, what I pray is in the most appropriate way. I think we've grown in this as a church because we're, we're showing tangible expressions of love more and more with, with salt and light and, and with restoration urban ministries and in, in just serving the under-resourced as a congregation. We are truly growing in that regard. And, and, and well, what, how you all have contributed to the needs of an organization like Blood Water Mission so that people can have drinking water. I mean, this has just been a, a wonderful way that we've grown. But I want to tell you something. Need doesn't just exist on Anthony Drive. We're talking about need right here. Right here in this room, right now at 11.39. Where we have, there are some of us here in this room who have excess, and there are some of us who have need. And so and I know we can say, well, I'm going to go talk to Randy and he's going to tell me. And we, you know, we, sometimes that happens. And, or we go to the benevolence ministry here at church. We talk to, to you know, Lisa Shelter or Frank and Kim Clendaniel. Or we talk to Brian about opportunities. Aline Dasher. We talk about opportunities to how we can take care of our own. And I think that's wonderful. And that will continue. But can we just crank it up a notch here? Because, you see, John says he encourages us to see our brother in need. So that means, am I seeing? Am I looking up and am I seeing? When I go out here into the foyer, I'm having coffee or tea, I'm talking and sharing. Is my radar on to where I can actually look and see and look at my brother and sister in Christ? And you just ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment 
To say, you know, wouldn't it be great if, if all of our radars were on so that those who had excess could share with those who have need, not so that the need could always receive from those with excess, but so that those who have excess could share with those who have need, so that those who have need can kind of get back on their feet, so that they then can share what they have. I love how Sundar Tapa, our pastor, brother, co-worker in Christ from Nepal, told me about it. When they go to a family, they give a, he, give, he gives a goat to a family. And they give the goat a family, uh, give a goat to a family. He says, okay, we're going to breed this goat. And that goat's going to have a kid. Now, I'm going to need to take that kid. And I'm going to share that with another family. You can have the rest of the offspring. But I'm going to take that one, you see. So you're on your feet and you're growing. And now we're going to share that with someone else. That's what I'm talking about. And when that happens, then you be. You become an instrument of the grace and the love of God, and you are putting love into action. And that's why John says in verse 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Is it better to have something or to have something and share it? You know, love is what you do more than what you say you do. So let's be doers of love, not just talkers of love. Not just talkers. I, I, I know it's good for us to say I love you, and I think that's important. I think sometimes we kind of depend upon verbal expressions of love more so than not. I'm thinking of my family growing up. My grandpa, Louis Roscoe Phillips, born in 1900, I did his funeral when he was 89. He, whenever I'd call Grandpa Phillips and talk to him on the phone, here's how the conversation went. Grandpa, how you doing? Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you, Grandpa. You know, when I go up to El Dorado, Kansas. Yeah. Oh, I, and I can't wait to see Grandma. We can have some fun. You know, Rob and Rick, my brothers were coming up. You know, it's going to be great. Yeah. Well, I love you, Grandpa. Yeah, that was it. That's Louis Roscoe Phillips. He was a man of few word. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? He loved my grandma, and I know that because he took care of her the last 15 years of her life before she died. She was bedridden. He made her oatmeal every day, made her wish she could walk. It wasn't very good. <laughs> but he was all the Lord gave her. <laughs> she'd say, she'd say, I don't like this oatmeal. He'd say, yeah. I mean, it's just, that's it. You know? I mean, my, I mean, my dad, I mean, then this hopefully will comfort some of you fathers. I mean, my, you know, I, when I was in college, <laughs> I'd call my folks. I, dad would get on the phone. Here's the conversation. Um, hi, dad. Hi, son. Um, uh, son, how's the car? Good. How's the oil? Fine. How's the transmission fluid? Great. How's the air pressure? Good. Okay, your mom wants to talk to you. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's it, right? I, even to this day, I talk to my mom a couple of times a week. I talk to my dad once a quarter, okay? Now it's, you know, it, it's, 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 
Uh, I talked to my dad. I said, well, how's Sarah? Good. Uh, how's Ben? Good. How's Brandon? Good. How's church? Good. All right, you take care, son. That's it. That's our conversation. I said, my, your dad didn't love you. He, did, he does love me. My dad set up a drafting board in their bedroom when I was growing up so that I could attend the college prep shirt and tie, button-down collar school, he paid for that. Paid for my college, paid for half of my college. Not that he couldn't pay for all of it either. See? Well, he loved me. I know that. See, love is, love is not what you say you do. Love is what you do. You know, a guy says to me, oh, I love my wife. And gets, well, okay, great. Well, she, why does she have ratty? Why does she have a ratty winter coat and the kids have a ratty winter coat and you have a new bass boat? What's up with, no, I love them. No, you love bass. Okay, you know, you know. Ladies, those of you sisters, I want to be your big brother here for just a minute. I mean, you're single and you, you're going out with this guy and he says, oh, he loves me. Oh, okay, well, all right, does he have a job? Okay, does he, does he own a Bible? Does he read his Bible? Does he, does he live his Bible? Does he? Okay, you know, he says he loves you, but when you go out, I mean, does, do you guys, does he not pay, does he pay for your dinner? Do you go Dutch? What? Listen to me. If a guy, if you pay for your own dinner when you go out and then the guy says, I love you, here's what you do. You whip out First John. You say, John says that you are a liar and you are a child of the devil and the truth is not in you. Yeah, pick up the tab, McFly, and then we'll talk about love. Talk to me about that. I'd, I'd rather have someone in my life, I'd rather have someone in my life who showed love by action than just to say they love, but they never follow through. Amen. That's what John is saying right here. Huh? Love is not what you say you do, love is what you do. We'll say, well, I intended to. No, you, what you intend is what you actually do. Let's not, love, let's not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And then, and then whew, this is heavy. Yeah, it is. This, is. this then is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Randy, you're really, you're really getting in my grill here, man. I mean, you're, you know, you're, I'm feeling guilty. You are guilty. I feel bad. You are bad. Well, I feel really bad. You're really bad. Just stay in that groove, okay? Stay, stay in that groove, and let's just let that groove take you all the way to Jesus. Because you see, there's not one of us in this room, no matter how long we've known Christ, who loves perfectly. Not one of us. No. And it's when we start comparing ourselves to one another, like Cain did, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. Instead of looking to Jesus, and, and when we look to Jesus, listen, when we look to Jesus, we, we, we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. So you see, our confidence, even from the community here, we've gone from Cain to Christ, and our confidence is, is, is all from Christ. We have confidence before him, and we receive from him anything we ask. Why? Because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Here it is. If you are figuring out, okay, how do I show, 
how do I begin to love Christians more and more? Pray this prayer. Here's the prayer. Lord, help me love your people more and more. God will answer that prayer. He will answer that prayer. And, and, and that's what John's talking about here. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. It takes an act of God to deliver me from the community of Cain into the community of Christ where my confidence, the love that I have, where I just become a conduit. I become an aqueduct. I become a, a channel through which God's love flows through me so that when I love other Christians, I... I'm not asking for anything in return because my love need has already been met by Jesus. And so now I'm just sharing out of my overflow. And when we share love with one another and people say, you know what, why are you doing this? I'm doing this because Jesus has met the love need in my heart. Now, would you let him love you and would you let us love you? And when we, when we as a church family Walk in that kind of confidence. That is attractive because people see it's real. They're real. And, and we are Christians who are real Christians love other Christians. Oh, Lord. Thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you so much that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, Hebrews 12 tells us. That when the blood of Abel cries out, who will right this wrong? The blood of Jesus, which is a better word, says, I will by my death on the cross. Thank you that his blood cries out. His blood has washed us, delivered us from Cain, planted us into his family, and now his love flows through us to the world. It's all about you, Jesus. And as we share in this time of communion now, we just want to say thank you. Amen.